listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Come on, high five three people around you and say, living the dream. Living the dream. We're living the dream. So we are in a series that's not really a series, if you want to say it that way. We, in the summer, we're talking about the best summer ever. But we're not following any particular theme or series. We're just coming with random messages. And what we tend to do during the summertime is do it like that because people tend to be gone on vacations more. And it tends to be a time really also where it's more church, home folk people. And, and so we like to try and take things maybe a little bit deeper and go through things. And, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to challenge every one of you today. And I want to challenge you and ask you the question, how are you carrying yourself? How are you carrying yourself? Because I want to talk today about the importance of your daily life, the way you live, the way you carry yourself, the example that you are setting and being to other people around you. Because a few weeks ago, I think it was four or five weeks ago in a message, we talked about the importance of that because people are listening. People are watching. People are observing your life. And here's why. Are you ready? Because people are searching. People are looking for something. And they're looking for something in the wrong places many times. They're saying, man, if only I could get a spouse, then that something is all I need. If I could just get a girlfriend, boyfriend, if I could just have a kid, if I could just have that new job, if I could just have some more money, if I could just have a job. If I could just get that new car, if I could get that promotion, the list goes on and on. If I can just get that something, then everything will fall in place and be satisfaction. Then I'll be happy and then I won't need anything else. You see, the problem is people are looking for a something instead of a someone. We're looking in stuff instead of to Jesus. Because what we need in our life is not more stuff, we need more Jesus. Because He is what we need. I've said this before, but I believe that there's a God-shaped void in every one of us. And what we try to do is pack that and fill that with so many other things. And many of the things we try to fill it with are things that get us in trouble and cause problems because there's only one that's going to fill that void, and that's Jesus. So think about Christianity. Think about all the benefits, the rewards, the blessings that come through a relationship with Jesus. If we were to put a big list right now, it would look pretty cool. I mean, peace, comfort, joy, love, companionship, hope, future, heaven. Come on, we could go on and on. All the list and the rewards of having a life and a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing like it. Is that true? Come on, I said, is that true? But yet, millions have turned it down. Millions are still today turning down 
the gospel message. And why is that? If it's so great, if it's got all these blessings and undeniable things, then why are people not excited about it? I'm telling you why. Because of how we've packaged it. Because how we've presented it. But listen, how we have represented it. Because God could have chosen any means to evangelize this world, but guess what He chose? You and I. He chose you to be the example to the world. He chose us to carry the gospel to this world. And if people aren't getting it, if people are rejecting it, then something needs to change. And that something is you. That something is me. We must change. Oh, if only my husband would change. Man, start with you. If only my boss and my kids would change. Start with you. We want everyone else to change where the reality God says you change first. You change first. You want your community to change? You change. You want your circumstances? You change and watch what God will begin to do through your life. Look at it, Matthew 5, 14 and 16. It says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do you light a lamp and put it under a lampstand. Come on, you don't hide it under a basket. You don't not show forth your light, but you put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Come on, if your office is dark, bring light. If your family and your circumstances are dark, bring light because that's what God said you are. You're called to be light, verse 16. So let your light so shine before men, out in the open, that they may see your good works, the good in you, so they can see the good in Christ. So they can glorify, they can love God. You see, we are called to be the light to a darkened world. We're called to be the signpost, the GPS, that's pointing people who are lost towards Christ. So how are we carrying ourselves? I mean, really, how... Are you carrying yourself? I love this saying. You may be the only Bible that someone else reads. They may never pick up the Holy Bible, but they'll see your life. They'll see the example of your life. And what gospel are they seeing? What gospel are they hearing? What example are you being to them? And that's what I want to take a look at today. And we're going to actually read quite a lot of Scripture today. And I just want you to follow along with us today because I believe all these things are very important for this message just to set the scene, but also for your life and for your future. So we're going to turn to 1 Chronicles 13 and you can follow on your app, you can follow on the screen or in your Bible. And it says this, beginning in verse 1, Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, And if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and the Levites who are at their cities and in their common lands, that we may gather together. And let us bring the ark of our God. Say with me, the ark of God. Let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then the assembly said that they would do so, for this thing was right in the eyes of all the people. 
So David gathered all Israel together from Shinar to Egypt as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from kirjath Jerem. And David and all Israel went up to Bala and kirjath Jerem, which belonged to Judah, to bring from there the ark of God. Say with me, the ark of God, who dwelled between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God. Say with me, the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadad. And Uzzah and Aho drove the cart. Then David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might. Man, this was a celebration. They were giving it everything they had. What a celebration. Singing, harps, stringed instruments, tambourines. Come on, you know there's something holy going on if there's tambourines present. Amen. <laughs> Come on, tambourines were rocking the house, cymbals, trumpets, just a chorus of praise to God. And when they came to Chilin's threshing floor, Uzzah, who's driving the cart, put his hand out to hold the ark, for the oxen had stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because he put his hand on the ark. And he died right there before God. And David, the king, became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, the name of that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah until this day. And David is now afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God now to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Verse 14, and the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord God blessed the house of Obed-Edom and that all that he had. Here's a story of a celebration. David's wanted to bring the ark back. It had been neglected since Saul was king. So he throws a celebration. He, he consults with all the people. They plan a big festive event. But man, talk about a celebration ending in a hurry. From celebration, they went to a funeral in a matter of seconds. From a great shout of joy and rejoicing, now they're afraid. They're angry. They're dismayed. Man, talk about a party buster right there, man. That would, that would ruin a party, wouldn't it? In the middle of everything and full swing and everyone's having a good time. Boom, boom. Someone just dies in the middle. Talk about killing the atmosphere right there. And I must, yeah, no pun intended, killing the atmosphere. Did you get that? There you go. And I must admit, at first glance, when you read something like that, it appears to be pretty extreme, don't you think? I mean, wouldn't you agree? That's pretty extreme. I mean, after all, the guy wasn't doing anything apart from helping. The ark was about to stumble. As the ark stumbled, he put his hand out just to steady the ark. He was, he was doing something good. Everyone agree with me with that? He was trying to help. He was trying to protect the ark of God. So why? 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 I want to show you today that the reason why the event took place is because it shows the love of God. What? I mean, love in dying? I mean, someone died, but pastor, you said we're going to see the love of God. You see, what we've got to understand about the love of God is this. His love doesn't mean that he can just permit any action to take place. 
You see, as much as we love God as the loving God, we've also got to understand that He's a righteous judge. A loving God doesn't want any to perish, but then a righteous just judge realizes that there's a price that has to be paid for the sin debt of mankind. Love, Christ, became that penalty or that price and took that penalty of sin. But yet God still has to judge what is right and what is wrong. God cannot just allow anything to happen against his word. And the reason why is because he loves us. You may say, Pastor, I don't see that. Can I take us on a journey today? And hopefully help you to see that. Because first and foremost, I want to explain what the ark of God really was. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. Or Exodus rather, sorry. Exodus chapter 25. And we're going to start in verse 10 reading. This is where God gives instruction to Moses on how to build the ark of God. And what it was to represent and what it was to be. Beginning in verse 10 of Exodus 25, it says, And you shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length. A cubit and a half shall be its width. And a cubit and a half its height. Really what that is, it's 27 inches wide and high. And it's 45 inches long. So about three and a half feet long. Two and a quarter feet wide. And two and a quarter feet high. And you shall overlay that box with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it. And you shall make it on molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and you shall put them on the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings shall be on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood, and you shall overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that it may be carried by them. Verse 15, the poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall never be taken from it. New Living Translation says the poles must never be removed. Why? Because those poles aren't a part of the decoration. Those poles are for a specific purpose, to carry it, to carry it, to carry it. Verse 16, and you shall put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. That's the Ten Commandments God is speaking about. And you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half shall be its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, hammered work. They shall make them at at the two ends of the mercy seat. You will make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it in one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another, and the faces of the cherubim shall be towards the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony upon which I will give you the Ten Commandments. Here's a picture of the ark. It's the ark of God. It's the ark of the covenant. 
What we read about in regards to the ark was we read about the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the part of the ark that we see there in between the cherubim. The mercy seat is literally a picture of or a type of the throne of God. Because when we would read of in the Old Testament that God led the children of Israel through the wilderness and led them in their life, the Bible speaks of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And what would happen, wherever the cloud and the fire went, they would follow. But when it stopped, they were to set up camp. And in the midst of the camp, right where that cloud or that pillar hit earth, was where they were to place the ark of God. And between the cherubim was to be that cloud or fire that would come out from it. Because it would be symbolic of the fact of the presence of God. That mercy seat was also known as the atonement cover. Atonement, if you look at the word, is a giving of satisfaction for a wrong or an injury to make amends. So once a year, what would happen, if you could put back that picture, that'd be great, Casey. Once a year, what would happen is the priest would have what they would call the day of atonement. And during that time, the priest would come on behalf of all the people of Israel. And the priest would offer sacrifices. And he would take some of the blood of the sacrifice. And he would strip all his priestly robes off. So all his grand and his splendor and his majesty would be all taken. And all that would be left would be a linen cloak. And he would go into the presence of God, the holies of holies, where the ark would be behind the veil. And once a year, he would take that blood and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat. Why? Asking for atonement, to pay the price for the sins of the people. To ask God, would you give us mercy again and would you forgive us? You know, the priest, they would also tie a rope around his waist. He had bells around the bottom of his garments. So when he would walk, he would jingle. So while he's in the presence of God, they're listening. Because if there's no jingling, bam, he's, he's dead in the presence of God. And they would tie a rope so they could pull him out from that sacred presence of God. But now our atonement, now us being reconciled to Christ is completely different. We don't have to wait once a year for a priest to go on our behalf. We don't have to look to man to find Christ. We now can find Christ all for ourselves. Why? Because he became that ultimate sacrifice as he hung upon a cross for our sin debt that we owe. The penalty of the sin he took upon him. He shed his blood once and for all. Why? He made the satisfactory sacrifice. You see, the priest could just hope that what he was offering would be enough. But I'm telling you, Christ's blood is more than enough. And he paid the price once and for all to atone for our sins. To atone for our sins. Someone said it this way, and I think it's pretty good. At one meant. At one meant. That now we can be one again, reconciled back to God. He paid the price. 
so we could be one with God. And it had the two cherubim on each side that would cover the mercy seat. And look at what verse 22 says. And God says, and there, Moses, I will meet with you. God says, I will speak to you from where? The mercy seat, my throne. From between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony. And I will talk to you about everything which I want to give you in commandment to the children of Israel. This wasn't just a place. This was a sacred place. This was a holy place. That God says, from this place, this point, I'll instruct I'll guide. I'll give you, note, my word. My word. The word of God. In other words, the ark of God was a precious thing. It was an important thing. Because it was God's throne here on this earth. Where his presence would come and rest. I say all that to go back to the story. To say Uzzah had to die. He had to die. Pastor Philip, that's kind of tough. Why did he have to die? Because God required the ark to be carried only one way. God told him, you've got to carry it upon the shoulders of the priests. You see, the presence of God cannot just be handled any which way we think and any which way we want. It has to be done how God instructs And done a certain way. In God striking down Uzzah, we can easily look and say, bad God. But see again, because what we're seeing is the love of God. Because God is showing us the importance that he places upon us obeying and following his word. And the instruction that he gives. Maybe today our lives are not going to be struck down dead if we're carrying that presence wrong. But through the rebellion of our life, we have a greater death than a physical death. And that's called a spiritual death. And a spiritual death is eternally that we can be separated in hell away from God. And what we've got to see is this. God never changes. His word never changes. Why? why? Because how can you perfect already perfection? How can you add more truth to that which is already absolute truth? You can't. And that's why the Bible says of Jesus, Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So what we're really seeing in all of this, I hope, is God showing us the importance or the mandate of us remaining faithful to His Word. That we see His love. Because look around us today. What's happening today? We're in a cultural shift. Have you noticed that? We're shifting as a nation. We're shifting as a world, perhaps greater than ever before. Oh, there's been changes. There's been shifts in generations before. But this generation, like never before, is so far away from God. Doing everything within our power to exclude God from our lives and say, I'm going to live however which way I want. Come on, there's a shift away from God. 
And I could give example after example, but what was it, two years ago, that one great example is man said, I don't like God's design of marriage. I don't like one man with one woman, so I think same-sex marriage should be permissible. So what does man do? He recruits the laws and the judges and the courtrooms of this nation, and man changes the law. They change the law to be able to permit and permissify these things. But I want to say this today, God's word is still God's word. Man can change it all they want, but truth is still truth, no matter what the court systems may say. You see, even today as we look around us, as we're evangelizing, as we're telling people and spreading the gospel, the methods have to change. If we were still preaching and teaching and doing church like they did 200 years ago, we would lose all our young people, for example. People would be bored. I don't want to do church like that. So the methods are changing, and that's okay as long as the message never changes. The problem is when we're changing the methods to reach people, we're also diluting the message. We're presenting the ark of God on a new cart. We're bringing it in every which way we want otherwise, other than what God intends it to be because we don't want to offend people. We want to make it politically correct. We don't want to embarrass people. So we'll just present a truth, but not the truth. You see, the message has to be the same. The message is still Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The message is still this, that we are lost without Him. The message is this, we cannot save ourselves. And He came to save us, but the message doesn't end there because He saves us to live a saved life, a victorious life that we can live out the gospel message. You see, if God did not protect the message, Where would the message be today? I'm not talking about what people have labeled as the gospel. I'm talking about the gospel according to God's word. Even take a selfie of your life today. Look at your life and see how many areas you have deviated from God's truth. How many things that you've allowed in, just small little things, just a couple of words here and there, or it's just a drink now and again. It's just these things. And I'm not preaching condemnation today. I'm preaching life. But I'm showing you, we accept all these things and say, it's okay, I can live like hell. And we expect to still receive the blessings of heaven. It doesn't happen like that because it has to be carried a certain way. And that's why God did what He did that day. He did it that day for the love that He had for you. Because the reason He had to take someone's life is because of what? So he could protect the gospel for the sake of you and I in our life. If he would have permitted that that day, it would have begin, begun the beginning. What else would they have turned against God? What else would they have adapted? What else would they have changed? And God says, no, no, nothing's going to change. Everything stays the same. You see, what we perceive as an attack against Uzzah was more than that. The attack was against the powers of darkness. Come on, it was a spiritual attack. Because what do we see? That's the infiltration. That's what's allowing people to do what they do today. They're being led spiritually as as demonic presence and powers. And the devil is trying to silence, discredit and dilute the word of God for what 
reason to destroy it. What we're facing is a spiritual thing. Come on, what you're in as a child of God is a spiritual battle. You may think it's just this. No, it's a spiritual battle. And the only way we can be victorious in a spiritual battle is with spiritual weapons. With prayer, with the Word. Come on, having that spiritual warfare in our lives. But again, some people try to super-spiritualize it. I'm not saying everything's a devil. Some of those problems are you just need to take responsibility and do the right thing. Come on. But look what it says in Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. But we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities from the unseen world. We are fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, it's so important how you carry the ark of God daily. What, Pastor? Now I'm carrying it? Yeah. You're now the carrier. Because it started with a priest that was to carry it on their shoulders. It was placed in a temple and left there permanently until Jesus came and the veil was rent in two as he died. And then Jesus then says, no longer is it a temple made with human hands, but I now long to dwell within you as a child of God. Your life is now the temple. Your life is now the ark. Your life is now the throne of where God's presence wants to be seated and wants to be seen. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. And what union can there be between God's temple and an idol? For we are now the temple of the living God. Come on, in you His presence now dwells. God says, I will live in them and I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Wow. I carry the presence of God. I carry the presence of God. How are you carrying the presence of God? How are you carrying your life? What example are you given? Now we've hopefully made it clear and explained that. I want to look at some key thoughts from the story. Four key points today. Blessings, warnings, challenges, whatever you want to call them, but I'm telling you, things that will promote and bless and further your life. Let's go back to the story, First Chronicles 13, verse 1 through 3, reading from the New Living this time. It says, David consulted with all his officers, including his generals and the captains of his army. Then he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows, if you approve and if this is the will of God for us, let us send out messages to all the Israelites through the land, including the priests and the Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them all together and come and join us, because it is time to bring the ark of our God back, for we have neglected it during the reign of Saul. Point number one, who are you going to for advice? Come on, who are you going to for advice? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? Notice, if you would, the story that David consults everyone else. He goes to his leaders, the officers, the people, the priests. But nowhere does it say he went to God. It doesn't say that he went to God. You may say, oh, pastor, you're reading between the lines now. No, I'm not, because here's the truth. If he would have gone to God, God would have showed him how to carry it. Because God wouldn't have left out that important detail. 
What they did, the Bible says, seemed right in all of their eyes. They're doing what they think is right. I'm telling you right now, you've got to be so careful who's speaking into your life. The first person that needs to be speaking into your life is God. Come on now. Come on, that's why you need to pray first. We preached a whole series on that. You need to pray first because prayer is your time to invite God into every circumstance and situation of your life. Begin to pray. Say, God, I need you first in my life because we go to everyone else instead of the one who can really help us. But then after we go to God, we need to be around people who will help us go to God. Come on, we need to be around people who will help us. You've got to choose your friends wisely. David went to people who should have known better. He went to the priests. They should have known. David, if you're going to carry it, here's you're going to... Listen, I'm telling you right now, you don't need to be around people who should know better. You need to be around people who are doing better. Come on, you can judge them by their fruit. The Bible says that. Be a fruit inspector. If there's no fruit in their life, come on, they're going to be poison to your life. You've got to be around people that are taking you to Jesus. Proverbs 27, 17, As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. New Living Translation says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Is someone sharpening you or someone dulling your life? Come on, are they sharpening you or are they dulling your life? A friend can be like that sharpening tool. Come on, you can rub it along the edge and it's going to sharpen, but you can take it and hit it on the edge and it's going to dull your life. Who's in your corner feeding you the advice and giving you the strategy that you need to live? 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. (laughs) Evil company corrupts all good habits. You can have the best habits all you want, but evil company... The wrong advice is going to steer you wrong. You see, here's something else that we have a problem with. Are you ready? Not all good is God. Well, if it's good, it's got to be God. No, not all good is God. We see that from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. Look at it in the garden, in paradise. God has placed them in Genesis 3, verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't distasteful. It was good. Then it was what? Pleasant to the eyes. It was desirable. Come on, it's good. It's pleasant. It's desirable to make her wise. What did she do? She took the fruit because it was good and she ate it. And she also gave to her husband and he also ate it. What caught her attention? It wasn't the evil side of the tree. It was the good side of the tree. A good thing that was still wrong. Why? Because God had told them not to eat of that. You can eat of every other tree, but not. doesn't matter how good it is. David was doing a good thing. He got an ark. He prepared. He had the musicians. They were doing a good thing. But it doesn't matter if it's good, if it's against God's word. It's never going to be God. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right. There's a good way that I think is the right way for my life. And, and I can go because I'm feeling good about it and, and I'm giving in to my feelings. And well, if it feels good, then it's got to be good. Come on, I've heard so many people say that. Well, if it's good, it's got to be God. No, the Bible says there is a way that seems so good to man. But if it's not God's way, it's going to end where? In death. 
And God is not about death. God is about life. I say God is about life. So who's giving advice to your life? That's so important. And let me go one step forward. No matter who's giving advice in your life, what are you feeding your life? What's the diet of your life? What are you feeding your life? And I'm not just talking about through your mouth. What's going in through your eyes? What's going in through your ears? What's going in through your physical touch? Come on, what are you permitting into your life? Because I'm telling you right now, what you feed on is what you will become. And there are no exceptions to that. Proverbs 14.12 proves that. There is a way that seems right. But make sure it's right. Listen to me, good advice that day was not God advice. Good friends are not always God friends. Good feelings are not always God Feelings, can I hear an amen? Amen. Verse 9. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, threshing floor speaks of separation, a place of separation. When they arrived at that place, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand to do a good thing. Come on, say with me, to do a good thing. He was steadying the ark. Point number two, are you ready? There will always be potholes in life. Especially if you live in Louisiana, amen? Love our roads. What are you talking about, pastor? There's always going to be some struggle. There's always going to be an adversity, a difficulty, an unforeseen challenge that's going to come up in our lives. So what do we do? Preparation is paramount. We've got to be prepared for those times. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Notice God didn't say life would be smooth sailing. Give your life to me, I'll never have another problem. You'll never struggle. You'll never feel down. You'll never be sad. It doesn't say that, but what it does say is I'll be your companion through the struggles of life. You may have some bumps and bruises, but keep going because we're going to make it together. James says it this way, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that what? The testing of your faith, the pothole, the struggle, the trip is what? Producing something inside of you. It's producing faith. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, that you have to be grieved by various trials. If you didn't get that, he said rejoice because you're going to have some problems. But he said, notice what the problems are going to do. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things. And what? Grab a hold of only that which is good. And in this case, good there is God. But we've got to hold on. We're going to be tested in all things. We're going to be tested in life. But what do we do? We let go of the wrong things so we can hold on to the right things. So how are you carrying God? Over the struggles, the potholes, the difficulties of life. How are you carrying Him? If you're trying to find God there, you're going to be too late. Come on, I said, if you're trying to find God in the struggle, you're maybe going to be too late. You find God before the struggle so you can make it through the struggle. You find God through the times of adversity so you can keep going and you refuse to quit. may have to jack that car up and change some tires, but we're going to get to our destination. Amen. Verse 11, and David became angry 
because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called that name of that place outbreak against Uzzah. Number three, don't confuse God's correction for his rejection. God doesn't love me. No, he loves you. Well, if he did love me, then why am I going? Don't confuse his correction as his rejection. David's now what? He's afraid of God. But more than that, he's afraid of exactly what he needed. He's afraid now of the presence of God. Now David doesn't want anything to do with it. He just shoves it into a house that's near Obed-Edom's house. Just get it away. Close down the party. Let's go home. Wow, what's going on? Just get it out of the way. Look at the scripture from Proverbs 3 verse 12. For the Lord corrects those whom he loves. Just as a father corrects the child in whom he delights. We don't see it that way though, do we? We see it as rejection. Well, God doesn't love me anymore. The church doesn't love me. They didn't watch the correction is not mistaken as rejection. Come on, as parents, what's one of the toughest things that we have to do? Correct our children. We don't like that. I mean, do you think, or we say this, do you think we really enjoy having to fight and fuss with you every day? I mean, do you really think we wake up in the morning and say, man, let's just fight and fuss with our kids today. What a great day that would be. Vacation time. We don't like to discipline and punish and take from our kids because our nature is we want to give and we want to bless. But the reason we do it is because we know the result of doing and the result of not doing. And we like the result of doing more than we do the result of not doing. Look at this statement. I came up with this and as I was preparing this message, this was just something that jumped out to me. They became afraid of something they needed because of what they wanted. We've got to be so careful in our life that we don't negate and turn away from that which we need because of that which we want. Well, I want to be happy. I want my life to be blessed. I want these things. So what do we do? We go after it in our own way. Instead of grabbing that which we need. And if we don't watch the thing that we really need, we can become afraid of it. It can become an enemy to us. Why? Because it's opposed many times to what we want. You see, the children of Israel were full of wants. You read it over and over again. We want to go back to Egypt. We want food. We want water. We want God was able to give them all those things, and they should have been in a land flowing with milk and honey where they wouldn't have wanted to, for anything. But because of their sin and disobedience, now they are driven by their wants instead of seeing the need. And the Bible says that God gave them over to their wants. And you know what they really wanted? They wanted to go back to Egypt. You know what their want was? Bondage. They wanted to go back to slavery. And you can label it all you want, but your wants are going to take you to a place of slavery and bondage. The only thing that's going to bring you freedom is what you need, and that's Jesus Christ. So what does God have to do? God has to correct us because he loves us. God has to redirect us and refocus us, not because he desires to control us, but because he knows the best path and plan for our life. I've got to close this. Come on, turn to someone and say, how are you carrying yourself? Last verse, are you ready? Verse 14. And the ark of God remained there in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything that he owned. Point number four, are you ready? 
there's still blessing in God's presence. There's still blessing in the presence of God. It's not an old-fashioned thing. It's still the thing. There's nothing like the presence of God. The psalmist said it this way, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. In other words, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to church so we can have the presence of God. But come on, it goes one step further than that. We don't have to come to church to have the presence of God. God's presence is here. But God's presence also can be in our house. Come on, in our home, our family, in our work, in our play. Why? Because His presence now lives inside of us. And no matter our track record and how many times we've failed God, God's blessing can still be upon us. David messed up. He takes the ark back and God blesses him later because he does it right this time. Listen, God's not going to judge you for what you did wrong after you've repented from that wrong. God's now going to give you the opportunity and there's a blessing that can still... You may feel that God's angry at your life right now. Listen to me. In the next moment, God can be happy or you can be happy with God. Why? Psalms 30 verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for life. Because weeping may endure for a night. But God doesn't end it in night. He ends it in the morning. And joy is coming in the morning. I'm so glad to this story. There's a verse 14. Because the end of the story, and it's not really the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new chapter. Because God doesn't want our lives to end in defeat and death. God wants our lives to end in blessing. And future. And in hope. So it's time to carry his ark. You're carrying his presence to the world. So they can hopefully, I pray, see the true God. Are we going to get it right every time? No, we're not. Are we perfect? No, we're not. Does God know that? He sure does. But you know what? He's given every one of us today an opportunity to get it right. We can't change yesterday. We can't change this morning. But we can be changed now that can change our future. So how are you presenting him to the world? Remember we started with this? People are searching. He's the answer. But you know what? You're the answer. Because you're the vessel that he's chosen to show them he's the answer. Show them. Bow your heads all over this place. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.